0: Welcome back to another episode of Veteran Oversight Now, an official podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. I'm your host, Fred Baker. Each month on this podcast, we'll bring you highlights of the OIG's recent oversight activities and interview key stakeholders in the office's critical work for veterans. This is a special hotline edition of Veteran Oversight Now And joining us today is Trina Rollins. Trina is the Director for Hotline Coordination within the VAOIG's Office of Healthcare Inspections. Trina is a board certified physician assistant who worked at the VA North Texas Healthcare System for eight years prior to joining the VAOIG in 2011. Trina, welcome to 2024.
1: Thanks, Fred. I'm glad to be back doing podcasts.
0: Yes, well, uh, we are back from an extended. Uh, absence for the holidays and for some of the uh, some of the other products we were producing. Uh, we are glad to be back. Uh, we are here today to discuss uh, the healthcare inspection, the delayed receipt of patients' colorectal cancer screening tests at the Phoenix Phoenix VA healthcare system in Arizona. Uh, Trina, uh, as we do in the other reports for the audience, can you kind of describe the size of this healthcare system and give us a little context?
1: Sure. Um, this uh, Carl T. Hagen VA Medical Center is the VA in Phoenix. Um, it has ten associated outpatient clinics and is part of Vision Twenty Two. It is a 1A high complexity rated facility within VA and provides healthcare services including primary care, long-term care, and specialty services such as surgery, neurology, oncology, dentistry, geriatrics, nutrition, psychiatry, and physical medicine and rehabilitation.
0: Great, thank you very much. So, as as the name states, we're here to talk about uh, the delayed receipt of patients' colorectal cancer screening tests. Uh, start out though, how did this uh, hotline inspection end up in your office?
1: So we actually got a complaint stating that there were um, over four hundred of these test kits. That were delayed in being delivered to the VA, and um, the backstory on this is that the FIT test, if you're not aware, a FIT test is is a is a way of screening for colorectal cancer, and um, it is a home test where the patient. Receive the test from the VA, will take it home and actually uh, use the manufacturer's directions to complete the test. It, it, it consists of taking a stool sample and packaging it and then mailing it back to the VA.
0: So, mailing, it, mailing it back uh, in a self-addressed postage paid envelope.
1: Correct, correct. And so, yes, so those postage paid envelopes will go to the U.S. Postal Service and then get delivered to the VA. Well, in this case, unfortunately, um, there was a a bill, an unpaid annual fee, and the Postal Service held on to these tests. And it wasn't until a, a very conscientious U.S. Postal Service employee noticed that these Test might be important, and called the VA and said, "You know, you've got an outstanding bill here, and we've got a a large number of these tests that need to be delivered, and and then that just snowballed into several other things that sure. happened." Um,
0: so bef- before we go on, before we move into all that, let's go let's go back and talk about these these tests and and the importance of of of, of the role they play. Uh, in ongoing health care for veterans?
1: Sure, sure. So colorectal cancer is the third leading cause of death, in cancer death, in both women and men in the United States. And most of the colorectal cancers arise from precancerous growths or polyps. I think most um, most of uh, our audience has actually heard of a polyp before that form in the lining of the colon. And, and these polyps are normally non-cancerous, but over time could develop into cancer. So that's the reason you want to get screened and get screened early. And the way to screen for Colorectal cancer is, is two ways. One is a stool based test, um, such as the FIT test, the fecal immunochemical test that the VA uses. Which we're talking about
0: for the purposes of this. Which
1: we're talking about for this, um, for this, um, project. Yes. And, um, again, that test detects the presence of blood in the stool and having blood in your stool doesn't necessarily mean you have Colon cancer, but it is an indicator of that. So it's it means if there's blood in the stool, in the stool, you want to get checked out and have further testing done uh, sure. in order to check for that cancer. The other way to test for colon cancer is direct visualization through a colonoscopy. Sure. So that's you know is it an invasive. Procedure using a camera, and um, they they go up into the colon and look around to check for any type of polyps or um, any masses that may indicate cancer. So, um, as I said just previously, the VA's preferred method, or the the method that VA used preferentially, is the FIT test. And they um, recommend screening patients from the age of
0: 45 to 75. Sure. But it's definitely, as far as preventative medical care, a, a very important test. Because if anything, uh, if, if there is a, a positive that allows them to go to the next step, have a, a colonoscopy, uh, have a more detailed test, and, and then they could proceed from there.
1: Exactly, right. and, and this screening test is recommended to be done annually. Sure. So the FIT test.
0: So, um, and, and let's talk about the number, too. I know there were over 400 tests. Uh, that were at this non-VA warehouse. That sounds like a lot of tests uh, for for a medical system. Is that is that is that a lot? Is
1: it not necessarily? Um, uh, you know, with these tests, they were collected over a period of time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when a patient gets. The test, they can go home and do it immediately, or they may want to wait a few days, or you know, if, if they're going on vacation and and decide I'm going to wait until I come back from vacation. So again, that that time frame is is dependent upon the patient um, when they complete the test and when they pop that envelope into the mailbox.
0: So it's a lot of tests, but it wouldn't necessarily a stockpile.
1: Oh. No, and then you you know you got to realize too, Phoenix, the size of Phoenix, and uh, this is a screening test that's meant to be done annually for patients between the ages of 45 and 75. Which so that's is, you know quite a bit of the VA population. Right. So um, 400 you know may actually be on the low side for uh, <laughs> right. a month or two.
0: Right. So I got you. So before we get into the details of of the who, what, when, where, how, uh, let's talk. A- about the time sensitivity uh, and then and then discuss f- the potential for false negatives a little bit.
1: Sure. So according to the fit manufacturer's guidelines, once the stool is collected and placed into the vial that is needed to carry the specimen, it's only stable for about 15 days um, at room temperature. Uh, if it's refrigerated, then you can add another 15 days so it's stable for about 30 days. But you know, in reality, if you're putting this in your mailbox and it's being pe- picked up by the postal service, it's not going to be refrigerated. So they have about a 15-day window to collect the sample and then process it and test it. And
0: this storage facility was not a refrigerator storage facility?
1: No, okay. it was not. Right. So and, we're,
0: we're, you know, we're on a 15-day countdown.
1: Exactly. And then the reason for that is you know, the test is looking for blood in the sample. Blood actually starts to degrade over time. So after about 15 days, even if there was blood in the stool, it would have degraded enough to where the test wouldn't have been um, accurate. So it could give you a false negative result.
0: So more than 400 of these were held for about 60 days. Uh, that's well outside of that stability period Exactly exactly what well, what what happened to those
1: So what when they got the tests the the facility actually worked really quickly to identify all of the patients affected and developed a plan for follow up So they had the names of all the patients, um, because on the vial of the stool sample, you actually have to they had to put their name on the stool sample. so they they had the name of the veterans. They looked in their medical record to see if um, they had completed um, any type of colorectal cancer screening. Um, and if they didn't, then those those patients were marked as needing to be rescreened. And so what they did was um, sent out a letter explaining to the veterans um, what happened and that they their test couldn't be processed and uh, sent them a new test kit and this letter of explanation um, and asked the veteran to submit another sample for their screening test.
0: So it sounds like they took fairly prompt action on that part of it.
1: Really what, prompt on that part,
0: yeah. And, and you say it, it – Centered around an unpaid postage bill. Was this just a, a breakdown in communication?
1: Unfortunately, yes. What had happened was the um, the supervisor for logistics was responsible for paying the bill. Well, the supervisor changed in March. the The previous supervisor left in March. A new one wasn't hired until April, or didn't come on board until April. April. So there was this. Um, Lack of communication uh, during the transition. So some knowledge was lost and realized the the new supervisor didn't realize that the bill was outstanding and um, it wasn't on their radar to pay until they actually got the notification from the U.S. Postal Service. That has since been corrected, though, because again, this is now um, they they move forward and set up an automatic payment system, so yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's and now
0: it's on auto pay, so
1: exactly. So there's no um, no risk of unpaid bills in the future.
0: Now there were there were some other allegations in this uh, complaint that we didn't substantiate that were related to these samples, correct? Or these tests?
1: so the, there was a, an allegation about um, loss of protected information, but that was that was not substantiated the 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 um, mm-hmm. samples again, in order to find out who the sample belonged to, the veteran had actually placed their name on the sample, and those samples were placed in the appropriate type of um, container to dispose of them appropriately, Um, and so that that was not at risk for being lost or um, available to
0: public use. But there was one additional concern that we found as we were working through this inspection, correct?
1: So there were actually a couple. A couple, yeah. yeah. um, A couple because we found that the laboratory staff were were, um, misinformed or had a misunderstanding of the stability of the test kit. Um, They... Felt the test kit, or they they reported to us that they thought the test kit was viable for 30 days, but when uh, you know when looking at the manufacturer recommendations, it's viable for 30 days in a refrigerated setting, but only 15 in a room temperature setting. So, um, but on top of that is determining what's the start time for that 15 day period. Um, what we found was that the, the vial for collection um was pre had a pre-printed label on it so it had the patient's name and um uh, you know the appropriate identification for the the patient but didn't have a place on there for the patient to actually mark the date they collected the sample without that date you don't know when to start you know when does the, the clock start um, the staff, the laboratory staff, were using the date that they received the sample. Um, Some staff were using the day the order was placed. So, again, you can see where there's variation um, in that. And and so, again, we needed to ensure that there was a known start date. Otherwise, the testing, the reliability of the testing was at fault.
0: So, just so we're clear, were there samples that were tested outside of what would be viewed as their uh, stability uh, date
1: yes Um, it previously there had been now of the samples that were taken um, that were from the postal service this time there were three samples that had enough information on there to verify the collection date and um, be within the time frame to actually uh, be processed the other four hundred and three, I believe, were not processed. So, again, they, they didn't go through the um, accession, meaning uh, they weren't linked back to the patient's medical record. The testing of the sample didn't actually occur. And and so, um, with that, there was a lack of communication to the primary care providers who had ordered the test. Um, you know, they they have this order, out, this outstanding order for this um, colorectal cancer screening test, but it was never actually done, even though the patient had sent in a sample. What should have happened was that the patient, the sample should have been assessed, linked to the initial order, and then a comment placed that the um, sample couldn't be run uh, and, and given a reason. And the sure. reason would have been it was, it was outside the um, stability period for the test.
0: So what were our recommendations?
1: So our recommendations, we had recommendations at the um, vision level as well as the facility level, and, and we recommended the VISN provide um, um oversight of the facility's review of their laboratory processes related to these fit tests and processing of these tests, as well as um, evaluation of of patient impact of the potential false negative results. because remember, um we pointed out that the lab staff had the misunderstanding that the tests were stable for thirty days. and And then, on top of that, they didn't have an actual collection date that they could. Uh, you know, start the clock on. So um, they ran many tests in in the past um, with the, that incorrect right. knowledge, and so it, it could have been that they had um, many false negatives during that time frame.
0: So, so we made a recommendation that they they relook at that. Did they take any action on that yet?
1: They have. So um, a, a couple of things have happened. The. Uh, vision actually led a stand-down at the facility to retrain all of the laboratory staff um, about the test, about um, the accessioning of the test and processing it, and then they also passed all of that information to all of the other facilities within Vision 22. So, it wasn't just Phoenix, you know, they made sure all of the facilities in Vision 22 had the same information and um, uh, the same knowledge. So, um, to follow that up, they're doing weekly audits and checking to make sure that the logging process is being done correctly, and so far, the reported compliance has been
0: 100%. Did we have any other recommendations?
1: We did. We, we had some recommendations for the facility and um, to again review and ensure compliance with these um, fit testing uh, process as well as um, doing an evaluation of the whole um, system the this the process and um, to determine if there's any practices they needed to correct or um, if they could improve the process in any way and and then finally to modify the the facilities prepented pre printed label to include the date the specimen was collected. So again, they put the label on the the vial in order to help the patient out. Um, It's identified, it's got all the appropriate identifiers for the patient, but it didn't have a place to put a date um, uh, as to when the specimen was collected. So they've since reprinted those FIT labels to include the date of the specimen collection. And I thought what was really interesting on this was um, they actually got the, they collaborated with the supplier of the FIT test to revise the collection instructions as well um, so that it, it says in the instructions to make sure you put the collection date on your label.
0: So we actually cover a lot of pretty tough topics in this hotline Podcast. This actually sounds almost like a good news story in terms of the outcomes.
1: It's good news in terms of the outcome. Definitely, um, you know, the OIG staff had done a preliminary review and didn't find any patient harm as a result of these delays. Um, but we did recommend that the facility and visit and oversee a, a further look um, about that. And then again, you know, the processes that we found that were um, deficient, they made. Uh, very quickly made um, changes in order to improve the process. Uh, and I'll also say, too, VHA as a whole, VACO, um, released an operational memorandum back in October of 2023 and gave guidance on what to do if um, the fit test or the test sample has a missing collection date. They actually provided language to put into the medical record so that the um, provider that's ordering it and the um, patient, when they receive their results, would have an understanding, you know, that the results could be or or the um, results could be impacted because they didn't have a collection date on there.
0: So, a lot of uh, impact VHA wide from this this one oversight report.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Very positive.
0: Great. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Trina?
1: No, I think that's that covers it. I, I think it was. Um, you know, a very interesting hotline, um, an, an interesting report, but again, made an uh, impact at Phoenix at, with Bison 22 as well as VACO-wide.
0: Well, thank you, Trina, for being here. As always, uh, we appreciate your input, and we look forward to our next podcast. Thanks, Fred. Uh, as mentioned in this uh, podcast, uh, you can submit a complaint to the VAOIG uh, by phone, one 800 488 8244, uh, or you can go to our website, www.va.gov forward slash OIG slash hotline and fill out a, a hotline complaint there. However, if you are a veteran in crisis or someone who is concerned about one, please call the veteran crisis line, dial 988, and then press 1. Now let's go to Lauren for the highlights of our oversight work for this past month.
2: Thanks, Fred. In January, our Principal Deputy Assistant Inspector General for Healthcare Inspections, Dr. Julie Kroviak, testified before the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs. Her testimony focused on repeated deficiencies identified by the OIG's proactive Vet Center Inspection Program. Vet Centers are community-based counseling centers providing a wide range of social and psychological services to eligible veterans, service members, and their families to support a successful transition from military to civilian life. Dr. Kroviak lauded the dedication of Vet Center staff while recognizing that the limited progress by these centers over the last three years particularly for suicide prevention activities, suggests that barriers remain in improving and sustaining compliance with critical VA policy. She called for stronger leadership engagement and continuous oversight of the staff's daily activities, particularly when working with veterans at high risk for suicide. In response to questions, Dr. Kroviak suggested that Vet Center directors would benefit from reviewing all of the OIG's Vet Center Inspection Program reports and that focusing on clear and consistent communication with VA medical centers would help improve Vet Center performance and outcomes. Check out the OIG's website for written statements and recordings of opening statements for all OIG congressional testimony. Meanwhile, the Office of Investigations had several investigative updates in January. An investigation by the VAOIG and Michigan Attorney General found that three individuals used aliases to obtain or create fraudulent documents, including vital records such as birth certificates, to make it appear as if they were the surviving spouses of deceased veterans. These documents were used to fraudulently obtain VA dependency and indemnity compensation benefits, VA survivors' pension benefits, and unclaimed funds from Michigan. One of the three individuals pleaded no contest to conducting a criminal enterprise and false pretenses for defrauding VA and the Michigan Department of Treasury. Pursuant to the plea agreement, the defendant will be sentenced to serve between six and a half to 20 years of incarceration and be ordered to pay $470,000 in restitution Of this amount, VA is due to receive $430,000. In a different case, an individual received VA dependency and indemnity compensation benefits intended for his grandmother due to both her husband's and her son's military service. A review of the grandmother's bank records revealed that for nearly 30 years, the grandson used her VA benefits for his own personal expenses after she passed away in November 1993. The loss to VA is more than $340,000. Following an investigation by the VA OIG, the grandson was sentenced in the Western District of Missouri to 20 months of home confinement, five years of probation, and over $340,000 in restitution after previously pleading guilty to theft of government property. In January, the VAOIG published 16 reports. I'll highlight a few of them now. From the Office of Audits and Evaluations comes a report titled, VA should enhance its oversight to improve the accessibility of websites and information technology systems for individuals with disabilities. VA is required by law to make information on its websites, related resources, and data systems accessible to people with disabilities. The OIG conducted this audit to address concerns from Congress and a Veterans Service Organization about the accessibility of VA websites and information technology systems. The OIG found areas where VA's efforts in monitoring of Section 508 requirements could be improved to ensure websites and information technology systems are equally accessible to all. Specifically, web managers did not routinely maintain the web registry. VA's official repository of websites, as required, and websites were not consistently scanned for compliance until recently. VA officials also did not always keep administrations and staff offices apprised of requirements in related procedures, resulting in non-compliant VA information technology systems and an inaccurate VA systems inventory, which designates systems as Section 508 compliant, non-compliant, or unassessed. Finally, three directives were not recertified within the required timeline. The OIG made six recommendations to address these shortcomings and safeguard accessibility. The VA OIG's Office of Healthcare Inspections reviewed national and healthcare system guidance issued by VHA regarding the inpatient management of alcohol withdrawal. Determining a patient's severity of alcohol withdrawal is critical in facilitating treatment decisions that may prevent the progression of symptoms that could be fatal. Current VHA guidance does not specifically address inpatient management of alcohol withdrawal, which does not fall under a single VHA national program office. The OIG found healthcare systems lacked written guidance to assessing alcohol withdrawal severity, determining the appropriate level of care, evaluating co occurring conditions, consulting with substance use disorder experts, and administering drug therapy interventions. VA's Undersecretary for Health concurred with the OIG's three recommendations to identify a national program office for the oversight of alcohol withdrawal management in inpatient settings, to develop written guidance that includes expectations for determining alcohol withdrawal severity, level of care, and when transfer of care is indicated, and to implement related training for inpatient staff. The VA OIG Published management advisory memoranda on monthly housing allowances for veterans, VA's initial allocation of toxic exposures funds, and concerns with using VA's new financial and acquisition management system known as IFAMS. We also published several comprehensive healthcare inspection program reports focused on VA medical facilities in Indiana, Florida, Delaware, Wisconsin, California. South Carolina, and Puerto Rico. To read these reports, visit our website at vaoig.gov and select the Reports tab. I'll wrap up January's highlights with a featured hotline case, which substantiated allegations of resident abuse and a hostile work environment at the Tucson VA Medical Center's Community Living Center. The OIG hotline received allegations that residents of the center were subjected to systemic verbal and physical abuse By VA staff and contractors, and a hostile work environment prevented some staff from reporting the abuse that could have helped to protect residents. Allegations and supporting evidence were sent to VISN 22, the Desert Pacific Healthcare Network, for review and response. Following staff interviews and a review of records, witness statements, and VA police reports, a VISN team substantiated that verbal abuse and unprofessional conduct had occurred, and that a hostile work environment did prevent some staff from raising concerns about residents. The team recommended 14 corrective actions for the medical center director to review, implement, and monitor. The corrective actions included establishing an orientation and continuing training program for center staff and retraining managers on responding to and addressing concerns of resident abuse, unprofessional conduct, and bullying in the workplace. Thank you for listening to January's highlights. Visit our website for all VAOIG podcast episodes.
3: This has been an official podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. Veteran Oversight Now is produced by the Office of Communications and Public Affairs. Tune in monthly to hear how the VAOIG serves veterans, their families, and caregivers through meaningful independent oversight. Check out the website for more on the VA OIG oversight mission. Read current reports and keep up to date on the latest criminal investigations. Report potential crimes related to VA, waste or mismanagement, potential violations of laws, rules or regulations, or risks to patients, employees, or property to the OIG online or call the hotline at one 800 488 If you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 and speak with a qualified responder now.